You're listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 3800 Marlton Pike. For more information, check out circleofhope.net. My, my message today for you is all stories. And uh, I want to tell you a little bit about that. But first, let's start with where I, I draw one of my stories this week. Today is Mahalia Jackson Day. Let's get her up there on our Trans Historical Body blog. We remember all of those saints, those holy people uh, of the church throughout history who have a story to share with us on this blog celebrating the trans historical body. Each week of this season, I'm going to be um, pulling a story about a person from this blog. And it just so happens that today is the day that we remember Mahalia Mahalia Jackson. She died on this day uh, back in... 1972. This, the, I'm also going to be sharing a story about a person from the Bible, um, usually one that I write myself, and like imagining the person's story as, as inspired by the Bible. And then also a person from, from among us, from Circle of Hope, and their story, or in this case, how a person really impacted my story this week. So let me read to you this uh, passage from a book written by Henry Nouwen. You can put the words up on the screen for me, David, uh, because it is uh, kind of a long quote. One of the remarkable qualities of the story is that it creates space. We can dwell in a story, walk around, find our place. The story confronts but does not oppress. The story inspires but does not manipulate. The story invites us to encounter a dialogue, a mutual sharing. A story that guides is a story that opens a door and offers us space in which to search and boundaries to help us find what we seek. But it does not tell us what to do or how to do it. The story brings us into touch with the vision and so guides us. Wiesel, Ellie Wiesel, a famous storyteller, writes, God made man because he loves stories. As long as we have stories to tell each other, there is hope. As long as we can remind each other of the lives of men and women in whom the love of God becomes manifest, there is reason to move forward to new land in which new stories are hidden. And so I say again, move us on, lead us on, Lord, lead us on into those places. In telling and listening to those these stories, my main goal is to expand our hour. The big sign there on the wall, our. Because we want to share these stories. To live into the particular moment, real or imagined, is to inherit the courage, faith, and other values of the saint whose story I want to share with you. The faith God has given them is our faith. The hope they, ha- they held on to is our hope too. And the love Jesus has led them in is our love as well. So fairly unadorned, three stories, all introduced by music. David, do you see those YouTube clips that are up there? Let's see if we can, you, you can start playing it as soon as it comes, but I'll tell you a little bit about this piece. Oh no, it's in your email, pull it up. It's in the Marlton Pike Tech email. I blew the, the fuse and I forgot to set that up. 
but it's all right because I want this music to be a part of the whole story. So it'll come up in a minute. Um, the first one for Mahalia Jackson, and her picture will come up here in a second, but David's doing several things right now. Uh, the music that I want to play from you is from Black, Brown, and Beige. It was an extended jazz work written by Duke Ellington for his first concert at Carnegie Hall on January 23rd, 1943. Another kind of time lineup here. That wasn't too long ago. January 23rd was, uh, what, Wednesday. There, there he's finding it. Ellington introduced it at Carnegie Hall as a parallel to the history of the Negro uh, in America. Uh, but, but it was an Ellington's longest and most ambitious composition. And in 1958, he made this recording with Mahalia Jackson. The album is a revised version of Ellington's original Black, Brown, and Beige Suite. So, you're singing that same song? Listen just for a second. I'm, I'm going to talk over her. she had a powerful spirit that led her to be named as the queen of gospel. She became one of the most influential gospel singers in the world and was known internationally as a singer in the world and was known inter I'm sorry, internationally as a singer and civil rights activist. She recorded about 30 albums, mostly for Columbia Records during her career, and her 45 records included a dozen golds, which means they sold a million copies. And this was before, you know, records were like even that huge. She left school in the fourth grade to help pay the rent with her Aunt Duke. I like that she then later worked with Duke Ellington. She had an aunt called Duke. Uh, she was recognized even at 12, year old, 12 years old as having an extraordinary voice. And like many blacks in that time period, she moved north as part of the Great Migration and settled in Chicago where her career in gospel music as a commercial success took off. She was instrumental in making gospel music a commercial enterprise. At the March on Washington in 1963, Jackson sang in front of 250,000 people, How I Got Over, and I've Been Buked and I've Been Scorned. And as I was telling last week, that was the same event in which Martin Luther King Jr. made his famous I Have a Dream speech, and she had something to do with that. She sang, Take My Hand, Precious Lord, at Dr. King's funeral after he was assassinated in 1968. She sang, she sang to crowds at the 1964 New York World's Fair and was accompanied by Wonderboy preacher Al Sharpton. Refer to him. Uh, Aretha Franklin sang that same song, Take My Hand, Precious Lord, at her funeral four years after Dr. King's. Earlier, in 1956, 
she met Ralph Abernathy and Martin Luther King Jr. at the National Baptist Convention. A few months later, both King and Abernathy contacted her about coming to Montgomery, Alabama to sing at a rally to raise money for the bus boycott. They also hoped she would inspire the people who were getting discouraged with the boycott. Despite death threats, Jackson agreed to sing in Montgomery. Her concert was on December 6, 1956. By then, U.S. Supreme Court had ruled in Browder v. Gale that bus segregation was indeed unconstitutional. In Montgomery, the ruling was not yet put into effect, so the bus boycott continued. There was a good turnout at the concert, and they were happy with the amount of money they raised. However, when she returned back to Abernathy's home, it had been bombed. <clears throat> and here is a, um, a story from the United Press from January 10th, 1957, about that bombing. Six dynamite blasts heavily damaged four Negro churches and the homes of two ministers early today. It was the worst flare-up of racial violence in the South's bus in integration movement. There were no injuries. The city commission ordered bus service here suspended indefinitely. The pre-dawn blasts hit the homes of two leaders in the Negroes' long-fought drive against Jim Crow and wrecked churches that had been used for Negro rallies. Despite the night of terror, Negro, Negro leaders here vowed to carry on the integration battle, even in the face of death. The Reverend Martin Luther King, leader of the Montgomery bus boycott, and the Reverend Ralph D. Abernathy, whose home and church were damaged, rushed back to Montgomery from Atlanta. The explosion started a flurry of police activity. The FBI said it will investigate the bombings. Governor James E. Folsom and State Safety Director Bill Lyerly inspected the bombing, the bombed buildings, and then began conferring at the governor's mansion. Folsom said the bombings were the work of anarchists and offered a $2,000 reward for information leading to conviction of the terrorists. He put state police at the command of all local officials in Alabama to combat racial terrorism. No one was ever arrested. Any group or group of groups of persons that will stoop to bomb the house of worship endangers the lives of every man, woman, and child in this state, Folsom said. Folsom has pledged to provide state help for any Alabama city requesting it in connection with the integration incidents. One of the earlier explosions blew in the front of a home in which a Negro mother and her baby slept. The blast also shattered a plate glass window across the street. While Negro neighbors and police milled about the damaged home of the frightened mother, a sixth explosion went off some distance away, wrecking the fourth church. This was about 6 o'clock in the morning. The blast blew in the front of the rural Mount Olive Baptist Church, located outside the city limits but within city police jurisdiction. An explosion at the Bell Street Baptist Church blasted out its back wall, splintering its altar, and covered pews with debris. The, real, the rear ceiling sagged as though about to collapse. Police said the dynamite was a type farmers obtained from the U.S. Department of Agriculture for about 15 or 20 cents per stick for blowing up stumps. Another bomb damaged the home of Reverend Robert Grates, a white minister of a Negro Lutheran church and a sympathizer of the Negro movement for a right to ride buses as equals of whites. End of news article. Jackson once said, in the midst of all that, I sing God's music because it makes me feel free. Asked about her choice of gospel music, which she was often tempted to leave because of her smashing success, she said, it gives me hope. With the blues, when you finish, 
you still have the blues. <clears throat> now a very different type of music for this next one, David. Johann Sebastian Bach. Der Herr ist mein Getruer Hurt. The Lord is my faithful shepherd. Sarah can say that better. Where is she? Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is a setting uh, in German of the Psalm 23. And it will go on the whole story because it's long, like a, like a Bach piece usually is. And I want to tell you a story about this psalm and how I imagine it was written. The king sat on his throne, harp in hand, looking out the window of his palace on the hill called Zion. The hills around him were green with spring and across the valley a huge flock of his own sheep grazed happily, not a shepherd in sight. He imagined himself as their shepherd, though in his herding days he had never tended a flock so big. <clears throat> his chief husbandman employed dozens of men to care for this flock. But either because of the distance or because they happened to be on the other side of that hill at the moment, he could see none of them. Though he could do nothing for them now, and they indeed needed nothing from him or anyone else in that moment, he half started from his royal seat to strike out across the valley to go to them. But they wouldn't know him, and he thought better of it. All Israel was his flock now, and the business of the city he had built and the empire he dreamed to be had many more needs that only he could address. The tenuous peace he now enjoyed after so many years of struggle could only be maintained by great wisdom. The path forward was barely a sheep path of matted grass, and he must pay careful attention to move his people forward through these winding paths. Delicate diplomacy, shrewd action, and just the right measure of force required constant consultation and discernment. From without and within, Jerusalem's peace was threatened by many dangers. All this needed his attention. Though not just yet, he knew that he also needed the songs he wrote in the afternoons if he was going to keep up with the demands of his empire dreams. There was always too much to do, and though he loved the doing, he knew his afternoon solitude gave him more strength for more doing. Each afternoon he dismissed all his officials and picked up his harp to see if there were any tunes in his heart that needed to be born as songs for his people, and sometimes just for him. His shepherd self's his shepherd self of so many years ago would have never recognized him now, sitting there in his royal chair, dressed in silk, and contemplating another treaty. As to the sheep across the valley on the hill, he would be a stranger to that boy. But though the shepherd boy never knew the king, the king still knew the boy, and his thumb struck a chord that the boy too had loved to hear, and up from the green hills of spring sprang a new song, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Say goodbye to Johann. And the last story, and another picture of Angie and Sadie. I met Angie Backus in 1996. She was Angie Peterson then, and pregnant with one of the first babies I fell in love with, Sadie Sherrill, who is now 22. But I hope she knows I love her still, and that her age makes me feel old. I love her, too, her mother, too, for so many reasons, but maybe most for the songs she has written for Circle of Hope over these same 22 years. Angie was on the formation team of Circle of Hope, but was not its original worship leader. That honor goes to Sean Hoots. Her poetry found, and her poetry was found along with some melodies, and it's, and it found, all of it found its way into our repertoire early on. We sang one of her songs, one of her first songs, at the love feast just last night. I have vowed that if I ever come into a bunch of money, I'm going to make Angie quit her job for a year and pay her to record all 38 of the songs that have been preserved in our worship catalog that we call the music table and make the best album that I will and I will never listen to another. Her song has songs have shaped my faith in many ways. The songs we sing in worship make us who we are in more ways than most. Music gets deeper than our thoughts, though getting an Angie tune stuck into my head is not the worst thing I could think of. Whenever she writes a new song, I gratefully collect it into my heart by memorizing it. I know them all by heart, and she doesn't. When I forget them, I even study them to remember. And so they paint my life with words of hope through loss, trust through fear, and joy through despair. These songs are with me and regularly remind me that God is with me. Two years ago this month, my son Oliver was in an accident that was the scariest moment of my life. He was actually run over by a pickup truck in Gloucester City. I saw him tumble out from underneath the passing truck, and as I saw him, I was uncertain if he would live. I arrived by his side, assessing the situation with all the fear my body could produce. He had blood on his forehead, and he could not speak. Several terrible moments passed as I begged him to say something, anything. And then he did. I told him to lie flat. 
The wind had only been knocked out of him, and he was writhing around with all of his limbs. I deduced that his spine was intact, and he was conscious. This worst-case scenario had many worst cases. Like lightning, the paramedics arrived, and as I stepped as little away as possible to let them do their work, I looked to my left and saw the Delaware River and prayed a whispered prayer. In the name of Jesus, may my son be okay. And I don't know how, but in that moment I knew he would be. One of Angie's songs seemed to breathe in me. And your goodness will follow us. We have nothing to fear. Here's the rest of the story as told by my wife, Gwyneth, in an email she wrote Tuesday, January 17th, two days after Oliver's accident, sung through with Angie's song, which is also David's and Mahalia's too. And I'll add now yours. On Sunday morning, Ben and Oliver were helping some friends move. Oliver, who is six years old, got scared when he couldn't find his dad. He spied Ben across the street and, in what we guess was panicked relief, darted out into the road to reach him. Oliver, Oliver was struck by a car and his body went under two wheels. Thankfully, the car had just turned a corner and was not going full out down a straightaway. Oliver never lost consciousness, the first miracle. And your goodness will follow us we have nothing to fear there was a fire station a couple blocks down the road and they reached him within a minute the second miracle and your goodness will follow us we have nothing to fear an ambulance arrived and he was taken to Cooper Hospital. He was given a nearly full body CT scan and showed no damage to any internal organ organs, his head or spine. The most amazing miracle. And your goodness will follow us. We have nothing to fear. We were admitted to observation overnight and kept getting good results as the hours ticked by the fourth miracle and your goodness will follow us we have nothing to fear yesterday afternoon monday oliver had done so well and received all clears from trauma orthopedics, physical therapy, and pediatrics that we were discharged and sent home less than 30 hours after the accident. The fifth miracle. And your goodness will follow us. We have nothing to fear. Overall, he has come out of, his, out of this with only a small fracture to one hip and a lot of soreness, the sixth miracle. And your goodness will follow us. 
We have nothing to fear. He will receive physical therapy over the next month and hopefully be back up and running, literally, by the end of it. When the firefighters were working on Oliver in the street, they had to cut off all his clothes. On Sunday night, when Ben stopped home to pick up a few things for the hospital, a brand new coat was waiting on our doorstep. Neither of us knew it was possible to sob over the sight of a jacket, but we did. That coat is a representation of all of your prayers and love, the physical manifestation of the goodness of God and the mercy we have been shown. The doctors say that young children are squishy and they bend. We are sure that this is true, but we are also sure that God's grace is on us, though the miracles of the miracle of Oliver napping on our couch right now and the miracle of you all and your goodness will follow us we have nothing to fear thanks for listening to circle of hope's sunday meeting podcast if you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell you can find one under our connect drop down at circleofhope.net